Hey, and welcome to Vineyard Church Cardiff's podcast. It's great to have you with us. This week, we have James, our senior pastor, finishing off his two-parter that he started last week, looking at the story of Gideon. I hope you enjoy oh, it. I hope it blesses you, you again. And I hope it My helps name is James, God and we're in back in the story of Gideon in Judges 6 and 7. So grab your Bibles. You might want to turn to that now. This is the second part of our series called By Faith. And I started it last week in Hebrews 11, brilliant passage about men and women who have shown incredible faith throughout the years, the ancients. And it talks about in this passage that they were commended, that they were, that God praised them for their faith. And I talked about our community and said, ultimately, we want to be a community that are commended for our faith, that we want to be a people of faith. And in this moment and season that we find ourselves in, that there's a tendency for many people in this moment to shrink back. But actually, I'm saying as a community, we want to step forwards. We want to step into faith uh, or lean into all of God's purposes and promises over our community. The world would love to tell us, and it does, every film that I seem to watch at the moment, it's all about you. It's about you, your wants and needs. Everything's about you. You do what you want. And I'm here today to tell you that it's not about you. It's all about him. A life of faith is being set apart for his plans and purposes, not our plans and purposes, his plans and purposes. And when we take the place that's rightfully his, when we put ourselves on the throne, we can't live a life of faith. Faith is about trust. It's about trusting our lives, our families, our plans, our dreams, our finances, our futures into the Lord's hands and saying, you're in charge. Last week, I spoke about us having a word to stand on during this season, as we want to grow in our faith and we want to step into faith, that that's really helpful. And for me, this passage in Gideon had been so profound to me, so precious to me. And the the verse, uh, chapter six, verse 12, the Lord is with you, mighty worry has been a word that I've stood on. And so we prayed last week, we prayed that you would have a word to stand on for this time. And I'm just wondering whether the Lord has spoken to you uh, about that. Have you have you asked him? Now, throughout this story of Gideon, we see this wrestle between fear and faith, between Gideon's weakness and the Lord's strength, between earthly provision and heavenly provision. God calls Gideon to lead his people against the Midianites who've been oppressing them for seven long years. And he's like, I'm calling you. God is with you, mighty warrior. You are going to lead the people. And Gideon's sitting there going, I'm really not sure it's me. He's struggling to compute that God would use him, that God was for him, that God would enable him to lead the Israelites into battle. And we all have moments like that, don't we? times of fear and and inadequacy. However, it's about not letting our fear triumph over our faith, not letting fear rob us of our purpose and the things that we're called to, not not letting fear dictate our steps. And at the centre of faith is trust. And as I prepared this talk over the last month, the word that I've had going round and round in my mind and my head is this, Jehovah Jireh. And you might say, that is a very strange word, James. Like, why has that been going around in your mind? But Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide or God will provide. And when I was younger, we used to sing this song about the names of God throughout the 
Old Testament, there's the names of God and Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Jehovah Rophe, God heals. Jehovah Makedesh, God who sanctifies. Jehovah Nissi, God is my banner. It's coming back to me. The old songs were just amazing. Haven't asked the uh, worship group to sing that today, but I should have done. By faith, God will provide. And that's really my title for today. By faith, Jehovah Jireh. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, we see some of the principles about how God meets us when we step out in faith and his provision, how he provides. And his provision isn't always what we choose. We'd be like, God, this is how I want you to provide for me. And God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, that's not what's best for you. It's not what we would choose. And he doesn't even do it the way that we would do it. And we can absolutely see this in Gideon. But if God has called us and asked us to step and to trust him, he will provide. So this story in Gideon shows us the journey of how trust grows and is outworked. And and it's a journey. It's not just this linear kind of moment. It's a journey. A journey has highs and lows. It has ups and downs, detours and tiredness, mountaintops and valleys. And that's definitely my experience of the journey of faith. It's not this kind of never ending, beautiful pursuit to heaven. Sometimes I wish it was. Yes, heaven's going to be beautiful, but but our journey of faith feels a bit more like this and then kind of like round and about. And this adventure of faith has different seasons, different battles and victories. Sometimes the presence of God is so tangible and God is speaking so clearly and we're like, yes, God. And then other times we... We can feel God's absence as well. We have times of clarity and of seeking and seasons of ease and seasons of contending. There is a time for everything under the sun, as it says in Ecclesiastes. And I want to I want you to picture a valley and a mountaintop. A valley next to the mountaintop. And I think I want you to just think whereabouts are you on the journey right now? Maybe in the valley or somewhere up the mountain. Maybe you're standing on top of the mountaintop, but The location's actually not important. It's not important whether we're in the valley or halfway up the mountain or whether we're on the mountaintop. It's the heart's posture that matters. So wherever we are in that picture doesn't matter. We can be in the valley and have our hearts turn to the Lord. We can be on the mountaintop and feel distant from him. It's all about our attitude. It's all about our pursuit of him. And this story of Gideon is not heroic or even triumphalist it's real and authentic and raw and it's inspiring that God will take our weakness that he takes the broken things in our life and he loves to use them for his glory I love that so today I want to draw out four principles from Gideon's life that enable him to trust in God's provision so firstly I've got this God speak I want to hear you God speak I want to hear you sometimes we can read the story of Gideon and think Come on, Gideon. How many times does God have to speak to you? How many more confirmations do you need? And God is so kind to Gideon. And I think it's true for us as well that God is so, so kind to us. He's not trying to catch us out. It's not like he speaks once and then that's it and then it's silence. This journey is about trying to hear the Lord's voice. Lord, let your voice be louder than all the others. Gideon's first encounter that we looked at last week, he's down the bottle of, bottom of a wine press. And he's hiding from the Midianites when an angel speaks out and calls him out. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Remember the pardon me, my Lord, moment. 
And then the passage moves on. It's like, Lord, show me a sign that this is really you in 6 verse 17. And the angel takes Gideon's offering that's offered and he consumes it. And Gideon has this belated response. Oh, my goodness, that was an angel that I was meeting. Verse 22, when Gideon realised that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He's so surprised that, that it's this angel that he's had this encounter. Gideon then follows the Lord's instruction and he tears down the altar built to Baal. And instead, he replaces it with one built to the Lord. As a result, the townspeople are like, what have you done? And they start trying to kill him. And his dad steps in. Well done, dad. Great moment. And then in verse 34, he calls the nation together. The spirit of the Lord falls upon him. I mean, he blows this trumpet and calls the nation together. It's a powerful moment. And I wonder whether Gideon had this moment after he's blown the trumpet and maybe the spirit of God has slightly receded where he thinks, what have I done? What was I doing? People start assembling in front of him and you could imagine him going, oh, no. And at this moment, he needs more confirmation. So he comes up with this testing the Lord through putting out the fleece. God, if you're really going to save Israel by my hand, as you've promised, I need a little bit more confirmation. That's not quite enough. I'm going to put out a fleece. If the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, I know that it's you. And that's what happens. So he's there and he's wringing this bowl full of water out. But that, again, not quite enough for Gideon. He's like, well, maybe that could have just happened. Let's turn it on its head. Verse 39, then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. He's got that sensitivity to know. He's like, I'm coming back and I'm asking again. And you could be a little bit annoyed with me, but I just need a little bit more confirmation. Allow me one more test with this fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Again, we come back to this idea of Gideon just needing more and more confirmation. And part of us like, come on, Gideon. But then stop, put yourself in Gideon's shoes for a moment. He is about, God is calling him to fight a battle against the Midianites. You'd want to be sure, wouldn't you? I love what G Jeff Lucas says about this passage. What is proven is that the God who we serve is a loving, compassionate father who knows that we're fragile and weak, yet still determines to hear a faulty prayer and enjoy our imperfect, tinny worship. As Gideon emerges into ministry, we see the surprising sight of a man full of the Holy Spirit who still has his doubts. It's a comforting sight and teaches us that even the power of God doesn't override our personality and instantly remove our weakness. What's even more remarkable is the vision of a God who heard a bleating from the threshing floor and who out of grace and love decided to help his worried servant out. Now that's a God worth going into battle for, armed with a souvenir fleece. Gideon was about to do just that. It's true, isn't it? We see the Lord's kindness throughout this whole exchange. And the Lord's the same with us. He is kind and he is good and he's not trying to just test us all the time. He's trying to lead us into life. He's trying to put plans and purposes before us. And he leads us and he says, follow me. Throughout this story, the posture of Gideon's heart is, God, I want to hear you. God, I want to hear you. God, speak. And we, like Gideon, are in need of repeated assurance. 
He can't sustain his direction and energy without repeated lessons and lots of confirmation of God's presence, his guidance and his power. And when we see the narrative telescoped as it is, the impression is that that Gideon's really weak, that he needed the angel to burn up the offering. Two miraculous fleece episodes in this Midianite dream that we're going to see in chapter seven and its interpretation before he would attack. But if we think about our own spiritual history, we might well see the same thing. For me, when I'm seeking the Lord, fasting and praying, it's like, God, you've got to speak. Was that really you, God? Is that what we can stand on? And imagine that your life was written as a Bible story. I don't know that Gideon was expecting that his whole life was going to be there in the Bible. It's like, oh yeah, look what Gideon did. It's like, oh, look what James did. Look at that journey of faith and that crazy prayer there. And what was James thinking there? We often think, I'll never forget or doubt God again. And then sometimes we become anxious or indifferent to something. How many resolutions to live radically for God have we made? I don't think we're that different from Gideon. We need God's ongoing assurance and reminder that he's with us and that he's for us. And this is the journey of faith. The key thing for me in this whole exchange is, should Gideon have asked, you know, about the fleeces? Was that right or wrong? And you see lots of biblical scholars arguing about it. And honestly, I don't really know. But what I do see is a man who wanted to hear the Lord's voice. He's like, speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. Secondly, as we jump into chapter seven, we see this second principle, which is trusting kingdom maths. Kingdom maths is so different to our maths. It's multiplication, not addition. So chapter seven, let's just pick it up. Early in the morning, Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. And the, the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, you've too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now, announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. (laughs) Yes, please, Lord, that's just what I want. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water And there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like the dogs, like dogs, sorry. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the other. So battle is imminent. And at this point, we're meant to assume that Israel Israel is going to need every man available in order to fight this battle. The enemy is huge. If it was you and you were in charge of God's army, you would want literally everybody to make yourself better. It's like, oh, few. There's a few. Oh, great. There's another 10, another 100, another 1,000. Thank you, Lord. Just keep bringing them. And yet God wants Gideon to have fewer men, not more. Verse two, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. It's not what I'd want to hear. <laughs> I'd be like, God, I, I can't really hear you. What I'm saying is more men, more men, please. And why does God get rid of so many of the army? Verse two, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Human nature is that it's in our own desire to want to boast, isn't it? About our achievement. I did this. 
rather than God blessed me with this. God did this. It's like, no, 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 I was amazing. I was brilliant. Let me tell you how great I was. So Gideon will either give the honour to the Lord or he'll seek it for himself. And so human nature is such that the tiniest opportunity to boast in our own work, we will. It was me that did it. And notice that God says that any such boasting is against me. So as soon as we begin to believe that we deserve the credit for rescuing ourselves or delivering something, we take away glory that God only deserves. God doesn't reduce the size of the army simply so he can work through them to win the victory. He can win victory through one man, as he will through Samson or through thousands, as he does through Deborah and Barak's armies. God reduces the number of soldiers because he knows that the men are too many for Israel to see clearly where the praise and glory should go for the victory that will come. And so God tells Gideon, decrease the numbers, get rid of some men. And the first group which is sent home are those who tremble with fear. Verse three, there was 22,000 men out of the 32,000. So so over two thirds is gone. And these were the people who were able to admit to everybody else publicly. It's like, I'm terrified. Let me go home. Verse four, there's still too many men. The Lord tells Gideon. So he's got to take them down to the water and then he's going to sift them there. Gideon has to follow God's selection policy, separating. So he's got 10,000 and then there's 9,700 who drink with cupped hands, 300 who who drink lapping. And it's the 300 who lapped that remain. I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands, verse 7. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300. Started the men, started the day, 32,000 men, probably feeling like I have not got enough men. Nowhere near enough men. We're completely outnumbered. We need more men. God's like, get rid of 22,000. It's like, oh, get rid of, you know, another 9,700. But don't worry, I'm going to give you 300 great men. When I put myself in Gideon's shoes, I actually start to feel slightly panicky imagining the scene of just sending people home before battle. I think I would have probably argued, tantrumed, told the Lord he doesn't know what he's doing, maybe suggest, do you really love me? Do you know what I mean? I think I can imagine all of those responses. But notice what amazing faith that Gideon shows in verses three to eight, trusting God and not numbers. He trusted in kingdom maths. This is the faith for which he's commended in Hebrews 11. I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, who through faith conquered kingdoms, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Gideon should look back and think this victory was God's and God's alone. My only part was to trust and obey him. The glory is his and the privilege is mine. And the 300 men should do likewise. Say after the battle, it was impossible. It was ridiculous that we should win. This victory is God's alone. He is the great one. The rest of Israel probably think I wasn't even there. I got sent home. What an incredible victory. Thank you, Lord. So this idea of trusting kingdom maths, I want to give you an amazing story from a great girl in our church called Maz. And she's written the story for me. Um... And she does a better job of telling it. So I'm going to read it to you. But I'm so encouraged by it. She says, this high church family. God is good. As many of you will know, he has provided for me in miraculous ways. My family's been struggling to pay my tuition fees through the last two years. Through the grace of God and a whole lot of faith, my mum managed to keep two daughters in medical school overseas. Unfortunately, with that pandemic, that became increasingly difficult for her. And she was struggling to pay my 
tuition for my fourth year. And my mum's incredible and my sister and I are so blessed, so I decided I needed to help my mum. And after much prayer and fasting and truly seeking God's counsel, I followed a friend's advice to start a GoFundMe page. And I knew that the hand of God was on it because he'd given me peace with my decision. But I was ter terrified, £24,000 is a whole lot of money. And when I posted my story on the Wednesday, I thought maybe I'd have 12,000 by the end of the month, hopefully. But my God is a God of miracles. By the end of the day, we had 5,000 pounds. I shared my story on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, any social media outlet. I even made my first TikTok. But above all, it was the support I received from friends and family. Everyone was sharing my story. People I didn't know were donating and sending me prayers and prophesying that we would make it well over the amount. A journalist from Wales Online had reached out to me. This was all in the first 24 hours. In the first three days, we made £5,000 a day. I had an article in Wales Online, all because God sent a community of people to support me. To say I was shocked might be the understatement of the year. On the sixth morning, I decided to pray a bold prayer. I said, Father, you made the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. I declare on the seventh day I will rest because we would have made all of the money. My father's not in the business of disappointing on the seventh day I rested. But more than that, BBC Wales, ITV Wales reached out to me and I was interviewed on BBC Wales radio and I had two news articles written about me. When God provides, the cup overflows, there is baskets left over. God showed me his provision in a way I could never have imagined. And all the glory belongs to him. He truly is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. I love that when I asked Maz to send me the story that she didn't know that I would use the phrase Jehovah Jireh, that the Lord would provide. But there it is again, Jehovah, by faith, Jehovah Jireh, by faith, the Lord will provide. Isn't this an incredible story? But what I love is that it is, through it is prayer, it's fasting, it's seeking the Lord, it's stepping out in faith. It's beautiful. Kingdom maths, multiplication. Third principle, sorry, all he wants is our yes, the 300. Surely now's the time for the 300 to go into battle. Well, not quite. God speaks to Gideon again, but this time the purpose is not to remove his potential for self-boasting but instead to give him assurance of victory again God tells Gideon I'm going to give Midian into your hands Judges 7 9 but with wonderful thoughtfulness the king of the universe says to him if you are afraid to attack because he knows that Gideon's terrified go down to the camp and listen to what they're saying and afterwards if you do this you're going to be encouraged to attack and at first sight, what greets Gideon is absolutely terrifying. It talks about the Midianites being so numerous that it felt like there were locusts everywhere. And if anybody's ever seen a locust, they give me the creeps. But imagine hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of them. How's this going to encourage Gideon when he's looking at all of these people to attack? Because God has sent him to the camp just as a man was telling his friend a dream where a loaf of barley struck a Midianite tent with such force that it collapsed. It's such a random dream as well. And it, of course, this is so unlikely. And nobody worries. You know, it's not one of my things when I'm camping. I was like, I'm so worried about a loaf of bread knocking my tent down. But just as the Midianites wouldn't have been overly concerned about 37 men from a nation, 37,000 men from a nation they'd terrorised for eight years. Yet this is the content of the dream. And so his friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Verse 14. When we know that we're weak, we need to remember that God is strong. We also need to be reminded of the truth that those things that stand opposed to us are not as strong as they often appear. 
God graciously gives Gideon the opportunity to see this vast army, thick as locusts, but underneath their armour, they're trembling, they're, they're scared. And they know what Gideon is beginning to be convinced of, that God has given the Midianites into his hands. And God's, uh, Gideon's response in that moment is to worship God. God has gone ahead of him in every way and all he can do is praise him. And his trust in God to give him victory spurs him into action and he returns to the camp of Israel. And he calls out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And I love that this isn't just Gideon's story. It's not just Gideon versus the whole army. It's the 300. There are 300 that the Lord calls to walk with him. They, they weren't afraid. I mean, crazily so. They probably should have been. And they needed the courage to go into the enemy camp where they knew so, there were so few of them. But all God needs is our yes. We get to partner with God. This 300 got to partner with God to see this incredible miracle. And he uses the 300 for his purposes. Continuing in the story, watch me, he told them. This is Gideon. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So often when we think about this journey of faith, we think about it by ourselves, isn't it? It's not meant to be that way. You know, often when we imagine ourselves on a mountaintop or a valley, it's us by ourselves. The beautiful thing is that the Lord has given us brothers and sisters in the fight. He's surrounded us. And when we think of ourselves, don't just think of yourself alone. Think of yourself surrounded by your brothers and sisters in Jesus. Be part of the 300. All he needs is our yes. And then finally, God provides for his purposes, but he uses us. We've seen that God's math is, maths is different to our maths. Maz's story is an incredible story of God's outrageous provision. And when we think about provision, we often think in terms of our own lives, God providing for me. But this story is one of God's provision and purposes for his people. Miraculous overcoming because of God's incredible guidance, 300 taking down 100,000. And as God's people, as his church, we have a number of things that we're stepping into as a church in this next moment. Now that we've re-emerged, it's not like let's just keep things the same way. It's like, no, 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 no. God has given us purposes and he's given us plans to go after. All of our sites are meeting back today. And they did last week as well. That has been no small feat, <laughs> you know, getting our communities to gather back together. And ultimately, it's not all about a Sunday service. I don't believe that at all. But there is something really important about, important about the gathered people of God. I absolutely believe that where God's presence and his power can come and he can fill them. New venues, new teams, new leaders, new people. We have seen the Lord provide incredibly for us over the last 18 months not only provide for us, but we as a church have had the opportunity to bless beyond ourselves. 
we've managed in the last 18 months to give away over £40,000 to things that God has asked us to bless. You know, Pembrokeshire Vineyard, another church, gave over £8,000. Um, Afghanistan appeal to welcome churches. Um, and Tear Fund, we gave over £9,000. And various other things that the Lord has asked us to, as a people, he's, he's called us to be outrageously generous. And he said, I want you to bless that. Our accountant who looks at our books, who's not a part of our church, but is a Christian, wrote this to us. He said, it's remarkable to see the way CVC has survived and grown through COVID. A lot of churches haven't, which is also desperately sad. As a church, we have a journey. God's people together. We have stories as this church that are our stories, our multi-site vision, starting the north site, starting the west site, moving to the gate, planting two churches in Cornwall and Pembrokeshire. And as we move into this next bit, there's a few things that I would love you to be praying for God's provision for. Pray for new pastors for the North Site. Ian and Sophie have heard the Lord and they're passing on the baton. We know that this is Jesus and we're excited about that. But pray for who God's got next. Pray for the gate. Pray for our ownership of it. As a church, we're very close to agreeing terms for buying the building. And we're currently in legals, heads of terms and, and inquiring a mortgage. And just pray that God would open the way, that God would open the way to the gate. The West Side, having met once before COVID, is now a city stadium, which is great, beautiful venue. But we're also praying for our next steps. It's like, God, you know, keep providing like you have so far. We're praying for venues. We're praying for favour. Pray for our food co-op that's starting. Our compassion ministries are beginning to ramp up where they, they've kind of been a bit undercover. Suddenly they're... It's like, actually, there's opportunity to bless our city. There is so much need in our city right now. Pray for our students as they start their new small groups this week. The church has come out of hibernation and it's roaring to life and it's a joy to behold. And it feels like we've got energy going in all different sorts of directions. The youth are currently away with... And they, they've taken over 40 of them, 42 youth, 42 youth. For many years as a church, we struggled to get beyond about two or three youth. It's like, you know, it's like critical mass. But the Lord has given us so many wonderful young people that he's asked us to invest in, to sow the kingdom into. That all of these things are wonderful and I'd love you to join us in praying. But ministry also costs money. There are many, many things that the Lord is pressing on our hearts, starting parents and toddler groups across the sites, funding the compassion ministries, praying, you know, paying for the refreshments on a Sunday, the Lord opening new venues and places to meet, buying buildings, multiplying what he's doing, opening the, the, the door wide to our city and saying, come in, come and meet Jesus. That's our heart. Come and meet Jesus. He's so kind and he's so good. And so would you consider giving regularly to the church? For some of you, um, it's starting that journey of giving. It's starting that journey of discipleship with your money. The Bible's really clear about giving our first fruits to the Lord for mission and to the church. For myself and Jen, we started doing that as students. And when you're a student, you've really not got very much. But actually, it's a principle that if you get it into your life, then suddenly actually it comes out of a place that you can be. If you're generous with little, then you will be generous with much. If you're not generous when you've not got very little, you won't be generous with much. If you're watching online, a link's going to come up. 
For others of you, maybe your circumstances have changed over the last 18 months that actually the Lord has given you more. And so it's an opportunity to maybe adjust your giving as well. Maybe the Lord has blessed you financially wonderfully. And this is not opportunity to step into generosity. We would love you to join us in that journey. God provides for his purposes. In order that we can do all that we feel like God has asked us to do in this next chapter, we need to see a 10% uplift in our giving. That's about £3,000 a month. So would you be part of that journey of God's provision? Jehovah Jireh, God provides. So in finishing, Gideon's a beautiful story. By faith, by faith, by faith. Gideon close, clung closely to the Lord as he stepped into all that God had for him. He's like, God speak, I want to hear you. Kingdom maths, it's not the same. All he wants is our yes. And then finally, God provides for his purposes, but he uses us. Let me just pray and finish. In Jesus, I want to thank you for your Bible, for your, for your word. I want to thank you for Gideon. I, th- I want to thank you that he's so relatable. And Lord, we want to be a people that continue to step out, that step into faith, that do not run away. But instead, we're like, Lord, what is it that you've got for us? Lord, speak because your servant is listening in Jesus name. Amen.